Catch your Bibles ready. Get it out and turn it to the Gospel of Matthew, if you would please. We're going to be reading in just a moment from Matthew 13. In fact, we've been dealing with a number of the parables that have come out of that 13th chapter. And we're going to deal with just a real small one passage parable that just left out at me this week. And again, I trust that everybody's becoming passionate inviters. That's how we got started on this parable theme, was that we were learning how Jesus was talking to his disciples and to the multitudes, and he was reminding them about what God's work in the earth was all about. And we've just been talking about these simple parables. And I've just been reminded, sometimes, you know, Christianity doesn't have to be complex. Sometimes we make it way too complex. They're just some simple things. Jesus would use simple stories in order to communicate profound things. And this parable that we're going to work with today, it's just a one-verse parable, but it needs just a tad bit of setup. So focus in on me here real quick. I've got to set some things up for you to help you not only understand this parable, but as you do your own Bible study, I think it will help you in the days ahead. Two important concepts uh, that I want you to know. This is the first one. The first concept is... The interpretive method for parables is this. Remember this. The most simple, singular point is almost always what Jesus meant. Now, the reason I'm going to tell you that is because some parables, you know, they have a lot of details in them. And a lot of people get all wound up in the details and they try to make every little detail mean something. And, and, and I just want to caution you, and we'll talk just a moment about that some more, but usually the most simple, singular point is almost always what Jesus meant. And then the second concept is this. Remember the context of the parable. These were stories told by Jesus on the spot to a listening audience who, for the most part, were not well-trained and were not notoriously discerning. All right? Jesus had to interpret several parables, remember, and would not be able to interpret intricate nuances on the spot. What I'm simply saying is, for instance, if I tell you a story about, uh, and all of you remember my cat story, I'm not going to tell a cat story, but I'm, t- I'm telling a story about a cat and a dog, and I'm sitting in my easy chair, and my wife's in the other room, and, and, and I give you all these wonderful details, and it's an enjoyable story, but it all moves to one point, right? Usually. In other words, you aren't sitting around going, I wonder what the cat means. I wonder what the dog means. I wonder what pastor sitting in an, a lazy boy means. And, you, you know, sometimes we can get so wound up in all the details that, that, that it becomes of no value. It becomes so complicated. And think about if you were a listener and, and Jesus is telling this story about uh, masters and servants and workers and fields and, 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 and you're in there listening to this story and you'd have to have, you know, a pad and a pencil and write these things down because it would, could take you some time to figure out all that detail. Listen, stop. Stop. That's fascinating and, and maybe has place on occasion, but mostly when Jesus was telling a story, he was just trying to get clueless people to get a clue. He wasn't trying to be overly complicated. Now, I'm sharing this with you, and and it seems like it's a self-evident thing, but you know, Christianity has been around now a couple thousand years, and it's amazing to me because, you know, I'll read the Bible, I know my languages, 
I, I try to hear what God's saying. But sometimes I'll read through a commentary or two, see what other people have said about it through the years. And it's always amazing to me how people, scholars, make things more complicated than they need to be. Sort of like bureaucrats in government. Government could be really simple, but you put all these smart people involved in it and they have to make simple things complicated. And so if you Google, I'm just telling you because some of you are great Bible studiers, and, and I know as soon as I say this, you'll do it for certain. You'll go Google this parable. And you're going to find out, as you Google the parable I'm going to read to you, that there's a lot of differences of opinion as to what might be uh, said here by Jesus himself. And of course, I want you to know that as I teach this today, I think mine is right. Does that surprise you? Because, obviously, it's mine. But I just want you to know, because I know some of you study your Bible so thoroughly that you will send me an email saying, Pastor, there are some folks out here that say it means this. And I will go, yes, I know. But I think he's talking about this, and, and I'm going to tell you why. The plain meaning is going to be the most powerful meaning, and uh, that's why in Matthew 13, 33, I want to read just one verse to you. It's a parable. I've entitled the lesson today, A Little Leaven Will Go a Long Way. A Little Leaven Will Go a Long Way. Matthew 13, 33. Listen to this. Another parable he spoke to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. A little leaven will go a long way. Now, Jesus in many of his parables is trying to illustrate what the kingdom of God will be like and what the kingdom of God looks like and what the kingdom of God functions like. And so, one more time, he's trying to communicate uh, to his disciples about the kingdom. And I want to just review, I'm not going to get wound up in this again, that that the kingdom is not somewhere you are going. The kingdom is something that has come. It's the rule of God. Very simple. Remember the king's dominion. Kingdom. Wherever God rules, there is his kingdom. So if he rules in heaven, is the kingdom there? But if he rules in your, your heart, is the kingdom there? Sure. Wherever he rules, there's the kingdom. And, and so we're on kingdom assignment. He's linked himself up with you and I in order uh, to be kingdom expanders, in order to be, be kingdom proclaimers and demonstrators. And so all through the scripture, you're going to see him define the kingdom. The kingdom does not consist in words, but in power. Every time power shows up, somebody's healed. The gifts of the Spirit show up. Somebody's delivered. Something supernatural takes place. How many of you realize the kingdom has come? Because there, there's a demonstration of his rule taking place righteousness joy and peace as it manifests in your life it's a part of the kingdom that's why the kingdom has come and so all these things uh, hopefully are becoming well known to you and now he's beginning to talk to his disciples and he wants to illustrate some aspects of this kingdom rulership and he gets to this parable and he just uses one sentence here ostensibly to remind his disciples of the prevailing nature or the conquering nature of the kingdom i don't know about you but when i signed up to follow jesus 
and hopefully you did as well, I signed up with a winner. I don't know what kind of Jesus you signed up with, but personally, I signed up with the winner. I signed up with the one uh, who said that at his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. I signed up with the one who said that the kingdoms of this world are falling apart in order to make way for the kingdom of his Lord and of his Christ. I signed up with a winner. How about you? Did you sign up with a winner? I mean, he saved me. He pulled me from the miry clay of sin and he set me free. He set my feet on solid ground, as the old hymn writer said, on the solid rock to stay. And he declared over me that I now became more than a conqueror. I was an overcomer. Triumphant, the scripture says, in all things. He made me a joint heir with him. And he said that if God be for you, who could be against you? I signed up with the one who said that because he lived inside of me, greater is he that was in me than he that was in the world. I could do all things through Christ who strengthened me. He said my enemies were under my feet. He said that I was the head and not the tail. I was above and not beneath. He said I could do what he could do and even greater things than these. Must I go on? Can I just simply say I signed up with a winner. Who'd you sign up with? Winner? Or or did you sign up with a Jesus that maybe kind of just always breaks even? Did you sign up for a Jesus that, to be honest with you, if he gets two out of three, it's been a pretty good week? What kind of a Jesus did you sign up with? I signed up with a winner. I signed up with a Jesus who told me that no matter what temptation came my way, I could overcome every one of them. Come on, what kind of Jesus did you sign up with? Well, I got seven out of ten temptations this week, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Some of you would say, well, I got three out of ten. That's 300. If it were baseball, I'd be on an all-star team. What kind of Jesus did you sign up with? I signed up with a winner. And once you get that basic concept, once you get that thought, in your mind, once your mind has been renewed to the understanding that he's a conquering king, he's a prevailing Jesus, he's made us overcomers, his kingdom cannot be stopped. He may not win every chapter, but he'll win enough chapters to finally when we get to the last chapter, he wins it all. When you understand that there's triumph and conquering and you get that reality in your spirit, then you can begin to understand what he's trying to communicate in this parable of Matthew's gospel. Because this parable communicates, listen to me, it communicates the processes by which that triumph and that dominion takes place in the earth and most likely in your life. I'll say that again. This little parable is going to communicate to you how that conquering a kingdom, how that triumphant kingdom is going to process in your circumstances and in your life. Would that not be a good thing to know? 
I don't know about you, but I'd like to know if I'm a winner how this victory is going to come my way. He says here that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Now, I'm not a baker. I know, for instance, uh, uh, Amy Bearden is, is our local baker and has a bakery. And uh, there may be a way to distinguish between leaven and yeast. I, I think them to be the same thing. There may be nuances here that I'm unaware of. But whenever I read that, I always think of that in terms of yeast. Most people have heard the term yeast. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Isn't that, isn't that heaven leaven? Heaven leaven Kevin. Yeah, that's right. How about that? Yeah. See, we can get something going here. See, like heaven yeast. I don't know about that, but heaven leaven. All right. But he says, the kingdom of heaven, leaven, yeast, is how the rule and the dominion of God is going to manifest in your life. His kingdom power, his kingdom authority will unfold in your life like yeast. Isn't that exciting? Yeast. Now, we're going to stop here for just a moment and deal uh, with uh, what, if you Google, you will find on all sorts of of Google sites. Uh, Some will tell you, that the biblical use of leaven, and they would be right. They would say the biblical use of leaven is always in the Bible negative. And, and they would generally be right. That most of the time when you run across leaven in the scripture, it's not used in a very uh, uh, you know, optimistic or victorious light. In fact, there are examples of leaven. Uh, guys, if you can post 1 Corinthians 5, 6, why don't you post that passage? Can we get that up there by chance? It says, your glorying is not good. He's talking to the Corinthian church. And this is what he says, because he's in the midst of a chapter that's talking about their sexual immorality. And so obviously, there's sexual immorality going on in the church. It's obviously not a good thing. In fact, they're actually boasting about these things, if you can imagine that. Of course, it's the Corinthians church is almost like the American church anymore. I mean, it's just like, yeah, yeah I'm sleeping around. Isn't it great? God, not even in church are you. Is there no shame anymore? And this is what it says, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And again, that was not a positive uh, saying that was going on there. Paul was saying, don't you know, if this stuff continues and it's not addressed, it's going to spread like wildfire. So that's what he's trying to communicate. That's a negative example. Go to the Galatians chapter. The Galatians chapter says, again, and now he's talking to the Galatians because, as you'll recall, they're wanting to fall back into their old uh, Jewish legalisms. Now, we're not talking, we're not talking about uh, standards or circumscribed life. They're wanting to go back to the law where the law justifies you. And, and he says there's these Judaizers that have come into the Galatia community and they're trying to bring everybody back under the law. And he says what happens is a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He's saying if too much of this gets in here, you're all going to renounce Christ and go back to the way you once had it. So again, that's a negative connotation. Let me go through a quick list that many of you will know right off the bat. Examples of leaven. Let's give you the list. Jesus talked about the leaven of the Pharisees. He says that their leaven basically was built in hypocrisy. They, they said one thing, they lived another way. They also had uh, legalisms and traditions that weren't right, but it was the leaven of the Pharisees. Then, then there was the leaven of the Sadducees, he speaks of, which has to be 
uh, interpreted by way of rationalization. He says, if you, if you reach the place where you let too much rationalism, even intellectualism, get in the, into the, the, the church life and into the believer's life, it begins to leaven to where it pushes out any supernatural aspects of the kingdom. There's other forms of leaven. He said there was a leaven of Herod, which meant there was lust. Anybody that knows Herod's life knows that he had more problems than you could count. I mean, and there was a leaven to that. Number four, um, there was a Corinth had a leaven, which was their sensuality and their immorality. And then finally, we already mentioned Galatia, which was their legalism. Now, <clears throat> some people will teach, and I'm telling you this because I found a lot of people teach this because they teach it out of their worldview in the church, listen, that the church is a diminishing instrument in the earth. They teach that things are getting worse and worse. People are apostatizing. People are falling away. Everything's getting bad, 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 bad. And one day, Jesus blasts into the whole thing and praise God, He blasts us out of it and just takes us out of it. Now, you've heard me teach this before. I believe in a rapture. I teach the rapture. But I don't believe that Jesus is coming for a church that's got its tail between its legs and it's a doormat and it's going out of here in a defeated status. I don't believe that for one moment. He's not coming for a bride that's beat up and a harlot. He's coming from a bride that is without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. I believe the church is not a diminishing entity. I believe it is an aspiring entity. I believe the church, if we would just be obedient and open our hearts to God, there's going to be an early rain and a latter rain and and it's going to energize his people and we're not going out of here with our tail between our legs. We're going out of here as a victorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the lamb. But because some people have that worldview of a diminishing church, Some people believe that Jesus was somehow, in some convoluted way, that he was talking about that this leaven was actually evil, and this evil would begin to prevail in the world in this bread that this woman was baking. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I read it over and over again, trying to get that, but I never got it because I'm just, this. you know, I'd like to think I'm a bright guy and a smart guy, And I just kind of read it like it says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Well, I figure if it says the kingdom of heaven is like, it means the kingdom of heaven is like. I mean, that seems pretty straightforward. So this is how I want to share this with you. Leaven is being used here kind of like if you could imagine a gun. How many of you know that a gun, guns don't kill people? People kill people, right? A gun can be used for good or it can be used for evil. You take a gun and and somebody invades your home and trying to kill your family and you have a gun and you shoot them out of self-defense and that's a righteous cause. I mean, that's a righteous thing. Or you can go and use the gun and go rob the quick store down the road and then you'll get caught and you'll go to prison. Now, both of those scenarios, the gun had little to do with it. It had to deal with how the gun was being used, okay? It's just like if somebody writes a nasty note. Is that the pencil's fault? I don't think so. I think it's who's using the pencil. So leaven, here listen to me, leaven in and of itself is just, I think, this neutral thing. Leaven can be used for righteousness' sake 
or leaven can be used for unrighteousness sake. So the simple point is that the rule of God is like leaven because it too penetrates the world and leavens our surroundings. Just like if your child is with a group of bad or evil influence, that evil influence could begin to leaven your child to do evil things, right? But if your child is strong enough, he could go into perhaps a circle of friends and righteousness prevails in his life and that child could be the leavening effect with those others. And so what you as parents, you monitor who's leavening whom. You always got to monitor that. Who's leavening whom? And in this particular situation, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven or the rule of God is penetrating the world and we should be, we should be, I'll say it again, we should be leavening our surroundings, not our surroundings leavening us. You're following me now, aren't you? All right, and that makes sense to me. I think... Without getting too intricate, I think the woman, I just think it could be a quick picture of his church or his people. And and as the kingdom conduits, as God conduits through the church, his power, his righteousness, his joy, his peace. All the things that the kingdom brings with it. As we begin to conduit these things, we begin to leaven our surroundings with his kingdom. And it's a picture of how the kingdom begins to penetrate things. So, as we're talking about being passionate inviters, and as I was reading this parable, it just reminded me as to how we're to engage and penetrate the world with the gospel. Are you following me? If we're passionate inviters, we we are the thermostat, not the thermometer. We're the ones setting the temperature, not reflecting the temperature. We're the one that's invading our surroundings. The surroundings are not invading us. We are the ones walking in, uh, bringing the light. The darkness is not coming upon our own life. I could go on and on. I just want you to get this, and I'm going to go back to what Jesus did you sign up with? Did you sign up with the winner? Because if you did, then you see it doesn't matter where you go. You can be a Daniel and go to Babylon, and you can affect Babylon. Right? Sure you can. You can be. You can be a a, a missionary going to to difficult, hard places, and you're the one that begins to change those surroundings. All right. I'm just riding that horse because I want you to get that in your system. Some of you go to very hard places on Monday morning. You go to very hostile environments. You go to places that are not encouraging to you. They try to drag you down. You've got voices all around you that are constantly pulling at you to compromise and and to be ensnared. I mean, you go to a work situation or whatever it is, and and it's it's a constant barrage, and you're just sitting there. and And sometimes you just feel like it's just you're overwhelmed. I just want you to be reminded you signed up with a winner. You signed up with a winner. And there's more than enough of Jesus in you to prevail in that circumstance. And he doesn't always get you out of Babylon. Sometimes, like Daniel, he keeps you in Babylon in order for you to affect Babylon. That's what he did with Joseph. Joseph went into Egypt and he put him in Egypt so he would be the temperature setter. That's what Jesus is telling him. He's saying, you're to leaven. Everywhere you go, we're leavening. We're not not falling back. 
we're leavening. So let me give you some principles here of engagement or how the rule of God will begin to prevail. You may want to write these down. This is how God will work in your life. This is how he influences out of your life. These are the things that are going to be very, very helpful to you. Number one, the principle of engagement. This is the first principle. It is alien. Let's make this in the first person. You are alien to what you're going into. You're an alien. People think you're a Martian. They're right. You are. In fact, when you think about yeast or leaven, yeast is not the bread, right? Yeast goes into the bread, but it enhances and enlarges the bread. In fact, the yeast is the alien force that's being put inside of this particular bread. Jesus said it like this. He said, you are in the world, but you are not of the world. That's what Jesus said. Literally, what that means is, he says, is you're not cut from the same cloth. You, you don't think the same way. You're not of the same ilk. You, you're here with everyone else. You're a human being. You look like them. You, you speak the same language as them. But you're not really like them, though, when we get right down to it. You're of a different DNA. You are the alien. And Peter said later, he goes, we are foreigners in a strange land. We're not of the same stuff anymore as the unregenerate. That's what Paul said when he said, when you come to know him, all things, old things pass away, all things become new. You become a new creature in Christ. Something that's never existed before. So literally, when I walk out of here, and I go to the grocery store, or I go to the restaurant, or I go to work, or I go to school. I'm just going to prepare you. You're an alien. You're an alien. That's why they look at you saying, where did you drop in from? Your ideas are strange. Your morality's different. Your viewpoint has a different angle to it. You, you aren't moved by the same things. You aren't solicited by the same things you don't have the same value system you are an alien and i'm here to tell you that's biblical so when you feel like you don't fit hallelujah sometimes our children need to be reminded they say mom dad i don't fit praise god you don't fit you weren't designed to fit you're an alien you're bringing a new rule, a new perspective, a new understanding to the world that they don't get. They're darkened minds. You have a mind that's filled with the mind of Christ. It's coming to the point where even true Christians are becoming alien to the American church. Because even in our church, we act more like them than like the kingdom. I've had people look at me and tell me and say, you need to quit that early morning intercession stuff, Kevin. That's going to alienate people. If you quit that early morning, if you quit that, you probably do this and that. You know what I have to say to that? I, we are aliens, you're right. Because Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And if it can't be built interceding 20 minutes, just 20 minutes before service starts, then something's wrong, not with us, but with America. Now, I understand there's an appropriate place for relating. I mean, we aren't trying to be weird just for weird's sake. We aren't trying to be obnoxious. We aren't trying to be outlandish. I have people who, you know, you, they do things just because they want to be outlandish. 
If you just follow the truth, you'll be outlandish enough. We're aliens. Okay? So, we'll leave it at that. Number two. A small amount of yeast can have a major impact. A small amount can have a major impact. A little yeast goes a long way. I, I, again, I'm not a baker. I know nothing about this. Except to know that it doesn't take this massive amount of yeast to go into this little bitty piece of bread. It takes a little bitty uh, part of yeast to go into a bigger piece of bread. Zechariah 4.10, I think, guys, I had you put that up there. It says, for who has despised the day of small things? You know, the kingdom never starts out big and glitzy. and It always starts out small. Don't underestimate small things. Don't underestimate your effect in some area. You may feel like you're the only one and you don't amount to much and it's just a small thing. Let me tell you something. God delights in using small things. He takes little small seeds, he plants them in a ground, give it a little time and it'll grow into a big oak tree and everybody wants to camp out underneath it. Don't, don't, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Small things. Peter Marshall used to tell the story years ago about a keeper of a, of a spring and how his job was from the community to keep the leaves and the algae and stuff out of the spring so they could use it to get their, their town drinking water from. But the, the day came that the town fathers could no longer afford this man keeping the spring clean, so they just laid him off. They fired him. And of course, nobody really knew it for a while because it wasn't necessary. But after time, what happened was that spring, because of the leaves and the algae and all the stuff that started to accrue in that pool, it became unsuitable for drinking. The point of the story was this, that one man seemed insignificant until he wasn't there anymore. Some of you may feel insignificant and all I can tell you is, is that the moment you're not there, you would probably see as to how significant you really were. Don't, don't forget a small amount can have a major impact. You don't have to have the biggest, largest, glitziest. You, God whittled uh, uh, Gideon's army down from 30,000, 32,000 to 300. God designed small in order that they could win a victory. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. A small amount can have a major impact. That really ministered to me. And, you know, I, one person can make a difference. Just one church, just like us, can make a difference. You can look around and say, we don't, it doesn't seem like you got much here. We got more than enough. See, we signed up with a winner. See, that's the difference. Who'd you sign up with? If you didn't sign up with a winner, you'll probably need several thousand. If you sign up with a winner, two or three are gathered together in my name. I'll show up, Jesus said. Number three. Telling you how the kingdom works. It has to be worked in. Yeast is kneaded into the bread. It is worked in through a rigorous act of rolling, stretching, pounding. Listen, if we're to be righteous leaven, then we must work righteousness into every arena of life. It is time that we started intentionally working righteousness in and challenging the kingdoms of this world, challenging their, their understandings and their perceptions and begin to understand that God is going to place some of you and it's going to feel like you're all alone at times. 
And you're going to have to be strengthened by your connections in the house of God and strengthened by your connections with other believers. And you're going to have to be built up through that so you can go back to those arenas because God wants to use you to work righteousness and His kingdom ways into that arena. He wants to work us into things. And I'm finding that the key word here that has to be linked up with small, because don't despise the day of small beginnings, but understand that God uses longevity. I love the dramatic, don't you? I love it when God shows up and it just happens, baby. I, that's, that's what I like. But you know what I'm finding out? I'm finding out God sometimes uses time. It doesn't happen overnight. I like what Mike Ware once said. He said, every overnight excess he's ever seen has taken years to produce. I like that. There's a lot of truth to that. Something happens and we think it's an overnight success. We don't understand that there's been years of labor that's gone on behind the scenes. See, that's God working something in. See, I'm starting to see this, baby, even in our life. God's been working us in. It's taken 15 plus years. But he's worked some things in. Could you you hang tough for 15 plus years, 20 plus years? Hey, Moses did 40 years in the wilderness. God had to work some things. Yeast has to be worked in. Number four, sometimes his kingdom works imperceptibly. In other words, you can't always see it. I don't know about you, but those of you that are bakers, and I don't know, where's, is Amy in here today, Amy? She's in, I, I, I'd, I'd ask her on the spot if she were here because I know she's our resident expert, but I just bet, Dan, just knowing Amy, that when she puts the yeast or the leaven or whatever she does with her bread, she probably just doesn't stand there and watch it do its thing. You don't, you, it's not like you put yeast in and say, okay, let's all gather around and watch this thing. You don't, it, it, in fact, the truth of the matter is if you watched it, nothing would happen. You leave it and it will start doing its thing. You understand, everything you watch takes longer. So just leave it and it'll work faster. Nobody sees the yeast work, but interestingly, you always see the yeast's effect. It's interesting It only took 300 years, by the way, for Christianity to work itself in the world and say what you want. And I realize it wasn't all a good thing, ultimately. But by the time AD 300 comes along, Constantine has to issue the Edict of Toleration, which basically says that the persecuted church has now become not only an accepted church, but it's become the place everybody wants to be. Now, that ultimately was the foundation for the compromising of the church. But the point people failed to see is that prior to that, these catacomb dwellers had so impacted the Roman Empire that they were beginning to to influence and overcome all of civilized, known society of that particular era. Now that's always been our problem as the church, is that we begin to influence and we begin to break in and we begin to finally see some victory and then we get brain cramps. And the minute we get in charge, instead of serving God, we serve ourselves. And then we become the same problem the world was when they were in charge. So what happens, I see this all the time. We have good-natured, good-hearted, born-again, spirit-filled believers who go into the political realm. I believe with all sincerity God has called them. He's opening doors for them. We vote for them. And then they go to the cesspool in Washington, D.C., and they begin to smell like the rest of them. 
Why? Because the unrighteous leaven affects them. Instead of them being the seed which leavens everything else. I'm not saying all of them, but I'm saying enough of them. And that's why I've looked at people and say, when we get later on in this year and we start talking election, <clears throat> and I have my, uh, my ideas that I will be more than happy to share with you on that subject when we get there. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter who wins. We're still going to have to keep their feet to the fire to be leaven in an unrighteous place. It doesn't end just because we cast a vote. It works imperceptibly. It takes years to do this sometimes. Imperceptibly. So I tell this oftentimes. In fact, we need to tell this to, to, to Pastor Tyler and make sure that Pastor Robert and Rachel and, and everybody that works with kids needs to know this, that you never know what you've accomplished with kids until years later. You know, you can, you can work your best and you don't think they're hearing and seeing anything. And chances are they aren't. But you work it in them. And sometimes you work it in and you work it in and you get a switch and you work it in and you work it in. But that's what you're, you're working it in and you can't always see it. Your work seems invisible, but then it shows up. You say, where did this come from? It's like when my son calls me on the phone, you know, Clayton, he's 26 years old. And, you know, I, I didn't think he was going to live past, you know, his teen years. And, and, and now he calls me on the phone and he wants to talk doctrine. I'm going, this is, this is a pod person on the phone with me. No, it's not. It's just been worked in. You work it in, and imperceptibly, that's how the kingdom works. It starts to happen. And then, and then finally, number five, it will spread slowly. It will be unstoppable. And its effect will make that area better than it was originally. It'll spread slowly. It'll be unstoppable. I know, I know, because most of us have enough full gospel charismatic stuff inside of us that we don't think in these terms. We think, quick. Quick, fast, and in a hurry. We want something just poof. It's done. Dramatic. Hallelujah, God. Can I just tell you, when God is eternal and time means nothing to him, while we like it fast, he can take a decade or two, and to him, that's just a blip on the screen. So we tend to forget that. So... I think many times he does that because he's not just giving us our heart's desire, but he wants to see if we'll be faithful. He wants to see if we'll be true. He wants to see if we'll walk in faith. He wants to see if we'll learn his precepts. He wants to see if it's more than just we're trying to get our tail out of a sling, but we're really walking with him because our heart is full of obedience. I just believe that. So I believe sometimes he lets things go on for a certain time because he's more committed to our personal character and Christ-likeness than he is just giving us what we want. So sometimes this stuff happens slowly, but this is the good news. It will be unstoppable. And its effect will make the area better than it originally was. I don't know if you've ever tasted unleavened bread. I've been to a Jewish Seder before, so I've had unleavened bread. But you can go <clears throat> to the store, and, and I think you can literally buy unleavened bread, but I can tell you what you do. Go buy, uh, what are those crackers I like, the... the well, matzah would be one too, but what's the other cracker that uh, the the you know that I put in my soup? I crush them up in my soup, and I can, 
Saltine, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the reason they're called saltine is because they got salt on them. But go buy the saltine without the salt because, you know, some of them don't have salt on them. Yeah, man, that's a na- that is, that's one nasty cracker. And people buy that. They buy that and eat that. And you're going, man, I got to have salt on my saltine, which is really kind of an oxymoron, isn't it, is that you're buying saltines that have, don't have salt on them. Now, let me just tell you something. That's, kind of, that's almost like unleavened bread. I mean, it may, it may be biblical, but it ain't tasty. There ain't nothing tasty about it. Now, you get that manna stuff God was sending, you know, that manna, that was good stuff. That was like cinnamon rolls from on high. But, you know, you, you, you get a choice between that unsalted saltine. I'll tell you what, go get you a yeast roll down at Ryan's. That butter that's just, drop it on the floor and roll on it. I mean, it is, it is like, mmm. That's almost like dessert, eating that roll. So that's what yeast, you know, that's, you know, yeast, that's, yeast, that yeast made it better than that unsalted saltine. And now, you know, you can understand, you know, a little bit why, you know, God thought that was, you know, sin for the Israelites to, to have to accrue it because it's just, it's just, it's tasty, it's good, it's, you, you desire it, you crave it, you want it. But the fact of the matter is, is that God uh, uses the imagery, Jesus uses the imagery of leaven here in order to communicate that its effect is, is slow, but it's unstoppable. I, uh. I started, this is really comical. I'll tell this to you, don't tell anybody. I'm going to tell everybody a secret, don't tell anybody. Like, right, like, right. You, you know, I just got it on my heart a number of months ago that I was going to start this thing called the South Carolina Pastors Alliance. And my heart was, just the pastors that I know all over the state, I was going to see if I could gather them up and, and let's just take our influence out for a spin and see if we could make some impact in our state together. It was really just a facilitating effort. I was just trying to facilitate something. And this is what has turned out to be so incredible. Is that um, it's just me. The South Carolina Pastors Alliance. Let me tell you how big our organization is. It, it's, it's, it's that little computer set up right out in that room right there. Um, it's got a little mailing list on the AOL account. And basically, it's me when I have time to sit down and shoot an email or two out here, there, and everywhere. Now, this is what's hilarious. I get phone calls, and it's like people think, like, it's massive. It's like it's this massive thing. And what's hilarious is, can you get your organization to do, 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 do? You know, and they'll ask me to do something, and I'll say, well... You know, let me think about it. <laughs> I figure, why, why spoil, why spoil their perspective, right? And, and the only point I'm trying to make in this is that it's amazing how many calls. I didn't have a chance to tell you. I got another call from a person on the phone that I took off the voicemail. And they're just, they, they said, 
we need you to come. We want you to come. We want you to be in, and, and, and we're not going to be, by the way, we're, we're confirming our schedules right now while we're doing this. We're not going to be able to go to this thing. So, okay, i just let you know that. But um, the whole point I'm trying to make is this. It's just, think about this. It's just me. I eat at your dinner table. It's just me. No big deal. Just pastor. Just me. But when you determine to be a little leaven, what starts out insignificant and small begins to spread slowly. It becomes unstoppable. And it begins to make whatever it touches better than it was originally. Come on. If you feel like you're just you, I'm not that big a deal. Nobody knows me. Can I just tell you, you are positioned to be used by God as yeast. In a remarkable way. I'm just this little bitty seed. I'm just this little bitty yeast. We're just, we're legacy. We're just this little bitty, little bitty piece of leaven. Nobody may know us until they see the effect. And once they see the effect, then they'll begin to realize that was just that little bitty, that little bitty deal there, little bitty deal. You know, God's things are not always the fastest and the largest. You know, Outreach Magazine, which is a great magazine, it always runs this, this list of the hundred fastest churches, growing churches, or the hundred largest churches, or the hundred this, or the hundred that. I'm, I'm waiting it for it to, to, to have a list about the, the hundred, the hundred yeastiest. I made up another word. Put that in Pastor Bear Dictionary right there. Yeastiest. Because you understand that's biblical. I'll leave with this and I'm done. I was watching uh, my son, my oldest son. He's been going and uh, making a little uh, uh, a journal writings in his Facebook account. I've just been watching it. I haven't even mentioned it to him. Apparently, if I'm getting the story right, that there are two young girls in school who go to the youth group, just, just two girls going to a public school, and I, I, by the pictures, it looks like they're outside maybe in a cafeteria or eating area, and these two girls, not long ago, just decided they were going to have this time where they do maybe a little Bible study and prayer meeting, as I understand it, and uh, so they just started doing it, just two girls in this high school. And all of a sudden, these two girls in this high school just kind of did this thing. And it has begun to blossom to the place where they're calling it. And I forget the school's name, but they're using the school's name. And it's the revival. Because there's like 400 or 450 kids. The news cameras came. And it doubled from that. Just, just, just. Two little girls getting together to pray and now all of a sudden 
that yeast, that leaven, has run through a whole high school. See, that's how it's supposed to look. Here's the action plan. We'll end with this. Action plan. Number one, are you an optimistic person in the Lord or are you consistently negative concerning His plan? Come on, we've got to begin to believe God's called us to win. I signed up with a winner. Did you sign up with a winner? Come on now. All the promises of God are yes and amen. We need to start living like it, thinking like it, believing it. Doesn't matter who you know or what you know. If you know Him, that's all you need to know. Number two, action plan. Ask yourself, what kind of leaven are you? Are you righteous leaven? Or are you the one that everybody has to maybe keep their kids away from or stay away from? What kind of leaven are you? Are you righteous leaven or are you unrighteous leaven? I believe everybody's leavening somehow. Little leaven go a long way. Number three. And then finally, what support system and commitment do you have for cultural engagement for the long term? See, this is going to take time. And so you've got to connect yourself with a group that's committed to long-term change. They're committed to working their way into the fabric of a culture and into a society in order to leaven it for the kingdom's sake. How about you? You're going to need some support along the way. I guarantee you, nobody can do it alone. People try to do it alone, but God has designed it for people to do it together. Amen. Stand with me, will you? We're going to end right here.